welcome back, and thank you for listening to Xenozoic Xenophiles, a fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales, a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs, from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth, and this is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Mark Schultz, and the opinions expressed are just ours. We're doing this podcast because we enjoy reading and talking about the world of Xenozoic Tales, created by Mark Schultz. In this episode, we're covering Xenozoic Tales, Issue 8, from September 1989. It features one story written and illustrated by Mark Schultz, and a second story written by Mark Schultz and illustrated by Steve Stiles. We've explained our title in the past, but we'll quickly review it for new listeners. Of course, Xenozoic is part of the title of the comic. Xeno is defined as something that is strange, different, or foreign, while Zoic refers to a geological period of time. So Xenozoic basically means strange age. And a xenophile is someone who is interested in foreign lands and foreign cultures. And that word describes us perfectly, because we're interested in foreign lands and cultures, just like those found in Xenozoic Tales. Of course, many of you might be familiar with this series under the title Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which has occasionally been used for reprint collections as well as for video games and an animated TV series. The original comic series, created, written, and primarily illustrated by Mark Schultz, was published by Kitchen Sink Press under the title Xenozoic Tales for 14 issues from 1987 through 1996. And this is an exciting time to be revisiting the series because Mark Schultz is currently working on a new Xenozoic Tales graphic novel. Yay! Be sure to join the Facebook page, Mark Schultz Xenozoic Tales and Other Stories, for all of the latest news and information. There have been lots of great updates on the Facebook page recently, including process samples of some of the pages from the new book. It all looks stunning. Or should I say stinging, because it even features giant scary bees. Flesk Publications has announced there will be a Kickstarter campaign for the new book. More information will be released about that later, and we will definitely be sharing it on all of our social media pages when it starts. We participated in the previous Kickstarter for the deluxe edition of the novella Storms at Sea and the art book Carbon 2. The books and prints we received are gorgeous, and I'm sure this Kickstarter will be terrific. I'm so excited to get new adventures with Jack and Hannah. If you don't have the earlier issues of the series but want to pick them up, we recommend the collection titled Xenozoic, which contains all of the stories written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. It is a wonderful oversized book printed on high-quality paper, and it is available in two beautiful covers that you can order directly from Flesk Publications. We'll include a link in our show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out their other wonderful publications. And if you would like some music to listen to while reading the series, then consider picking up Songs for the Xenozoic Age. It's an eclectic mix of fun songs by John Chris Christensen that are inspired by the series, and the CD features album art by Mark Schultz. We enjoy sharing listener feedback and being part of the fun conversations with listeners on social media. Please feel free to write in any time and let us know what you think about the series. We'd love to know what you like best about the art and stories and how you first discovered Xenozoic Tales. Later in the episode, we'll share your listener feedback and we'll provide our email address and other ways to contact us at the end of the show. And we have the results from the Xenozoic Tales movie Dreamcast submissions that we'll be sharing later as well. They're all terrific and I know you'll want to hear them. And we'll be having a drawing to give away two prizes from those submissions, so that is really exciting. Xenozoic Xenophiles is part of the Rad Adventures Podcast Network. If you enjoy the show, please consider checking out our other podcasts that are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. 
Trekker Talk is a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of the sci-fi comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. And Warlord Worlds is a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grell, including the Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. Mark Schultz, Ron Randall, and Mike Grell are our favorite comic creators. Their stories are filled with adventure and interesting characters, and their art is outstanding. We'll include links to those other podcasts in our show notes, but for now, let's check out this month's issue. Xenozoic Tales, number 9, September 1989. Publisher, Dennis Kitchen. Editor, Dave Schreiner. Letters, Denise Prowl. Production, Jan Manweiler. Circulation, Paula Zone. Cover colors, Ray Fehrenbach. It's the 26th century. The world has undergone a great geological cataclysm, causing global catastrophes. Few people survived. Those that did found themselves living in isolated tribes in a very different world and a strange ecosystem. It's a new age known as the Xenozoic Era. The cover features a dramatic image of an overturned car. The engine is smoldering and smoke is rising into the sky. Jack Tenrick is lying on the ground as a triceratops rushes toward him. Hannah Dundee stands aiming a rifle at the approaching dinosaur. I absolutely love the composition of the cover. You get a real sense of depth with Hannah in the foreground, Jack and the car a short distance away, the dinosaur a little farther away, and a tall mountain in the distant background. It is gorgeous and very dynamic. Last Link in the Chain, written and illustrated by Mark Schultz. A car is driving through a valley. It's Jack Tenrick, but instead of his traditional Cadillac, he's driving a classic convertible Hudson. In the distance, he sees smoke rising into the sky. He suspects poachers and drives in that direction before getting out and continuing on foot. He approaches slowly from above through the thick jungle foliage and surprises three poachers who have captured a one mug in a trap. It's what we would call an iguanodon. Aiming his rifle from the distance, he orders the jungle pirates to drop their weapons. Jack then smashes their guns and releases the one mug and sets them in walking home through the wilderness. Driving away, Jack rounds a corner and surprises a herd of Max or Triceratops. One of them is angered by the noise and charges toward the car. Jack slams his foot down on the gas pedal, but just as the car accelerates, the engine begins to stutter and stall. The Mac catches up and slams its three ridged horns into the car, overturning it against a rocky outcrop. Jack quickly scrambles up the rocks and escapes as the Mac continues to plow into the car repeatedly. Jack now has a long walk through the wilderness ahead of him, and he knows the soonest he can make it to the garage is the evening of the next day. As he walks, he thinks back to the warning that Governor Dahlgren recently gave him. He knows he keeps his cars well-maintained. The engine shouldn't have cut out when he accelerated rapidly. Lots of people come and go through the garage every day. He's on someone's hit list, and they must have tampered with the car. Back at the City in the Sea, Hannah Dundee is attempting to thank Governor Dahlgren for sending Jack out to the lakes in the previous issue, but she's stumbling over her words. Hannah wants the governor to know that she understands she had the best of intentions in getting Jack out of the city, and she wants her to know that the near tragedy by the lakes wasn't her fault. However, Dahlgren warns Hannah to keep her association with Jack quiet, because the other governors wouldn't appreciate knowing she is giving Jack secret information. As a parting remark, Dahlgren also warns Hannah that she needs to stay away from Jack as well if she really wants to protect him. 
Of course, we know that Dahlgren's jealousy of Hannah's relationship with Jack is another reason the governor wants her to keep her distance. In the grasslands, Jack is slowly walking under a scorching midday sun. He notices a group of sandbucks, or a patasaurus, acting skittish, and later a flock of birds are startled and take flight, and Jack realizes he's being stalked. He climbs onto a rocky ledge and gets into position and waits, but he is caught completely off guard when a cutter rounds the corner and surprises him. Jack shoots repeatedly at the Allosaurus, but his rifle misfires each time. Just like the car, someone has obviously tampered with the gun. As the cutter approaches, Jack sees that its jaw is broken. It's starving to death from being unable to eat and must think Jack is a small enough meal to manage. Jack swings his rifle, hitting the cutter in the head. As the two spin, the rocky ledge crumbles and Jack and the cutter fall down separate sides of the ravine. That evening, Hannah arrives at the garage. She tells Kurgo that Jack didn't show up for a meeting with her and she's worried about him. The two jump into one of Jack's cars and race out of the garage, but they can't cover much territory before darkness forces them to camp for the night. Jack has a torn hamstring resulting from the fall. He's managed to bandage it the best that he can, and he's started a fire to keep predators away during the night. He has a pistol, and he's tied a large knife onto the end of a sturdy branch, creating a long spear. In the distance, Jack sees a shadow move in the darkness, and is shocked to see it as the cutter with the broken jaw. Somehow it survived the fall, and it is so desperate for a meal that it races through the fire toward him. Jack fires his pistol into its open jaw and stabs it in the torso with his makeshift spear. It doesn't kill it, but it slows it down enough for Jack to climb a tree before it can catch up to him. The next morning, Hannah and Kurgo find the wrecked Hudson as they follow Jack's trail. Far away, Jack wakes in the tree and is relieved to see the cutter is finally gone. Jack lowers himself to the ground and heads toward a marsh in the distance where he hopes he can avoid the cutter. However, the Allosaurus has been lying in wait and begins to chase after Jack as soon as he is in the open. Jack runs toward the marsh, but his injured leg slows him down, and the water is deeper than he expects, slowing him down even more. Scrambling up a tree trunk, he turns to see the cutter advancing toward him, and Jack knows there is no escape this time. Suddenly, the swampy grass near him shudders and rises into the air. It's a giant T-Rex that was submerged in the water to clean away parasites. It lurches forward and makes quick work of the surprised cutter. A terrified Jack Tinrek presses himself against the tree trunk, hoping the T-Rex will find him of no interest after the large mill of the cutter. In the distance, a shocked Hannah and Kurgo watch helplessly through the binoculars. They are amazed at Jack's luck, or maybe it's Jack's connection with nature that has protected him. Whoa, this issue is a non-stop thrill ride. Dinosaurs, cars, poachers, jungles, more dinosaurs. It has more action packed into 20 pages than most comics have in 20 issues. And the art is truly amazing. You can see why issues didn't come out regularly because this much rich detail can't be rushed. The cars, the dinosaurs, the jungle, the grasslands, the marsh, every panel is gorgeous and given equal care. Another favorite is a small image of the city in the sea shrouded in fog near the beginning of the story. And the way shadows and light are used as the cutter runs through the fire as Jack desperately stabs it with the spear is amazing. And all of the panels as Jack tries to escape the charging cutter are filled with intricate backgrounds. 
The story plays almost like a pilot episode for a TV series, and it's a great starting point for new readers. In fact, this is the first issue in the large format Xenozoic Tales Artist Edition, and it's no wonder they chose this issue for that book. You see Jack stopping poachers and protecting a dinosaur, but then you also see him battle the elements and one of the very creatures he would normally protect, if it wasn't trying to kill him. You also get a nice establishing conversation between Hannah and Dahlgren to provide background information, and you get to see Hannah's tracking skills as she and Kurgo search for Jack. I've already mentioned how great the art is, but in addition to those amazing environments, I also have to mention the characters. The changing expressions on Hannah's and Dahlgren's faces add lots of nuance to their conversation, and there are terrific images of Hannah and Kurgo tracking Jack. And there are so many great images of Jack, from his confident commanding image when he confronts the poachers, to his quizzical look as he figures out he's being hunted, and his terrified expression as the T-Rex kills the cutter in front of him. It's such an exciting issue, but we'll wrap up on a fun note. In the issue, the Iguanodon is called a one-mug, W-O-N-M-U-G, which is probably a reference to the classic time-traveling caveman comic strip called Alley-Oop. It featured a character named Dr. Albert One-Mug, who was a parody of Dr. Albert Einstein, since Ein means one, O-N-E, and Stein means mug in German. Hi, this is Batman. Whenever I lose my memory, I head over to the batmanuniverse.net and check out the podcast, Bat Books for Beginners. The Bat Books for Beginners podcast breaks down and analyzes all of my adventures so I can remember how to get to the Batcave, which Robin I'm working with, and where I parked the Batmobile. Chris and Jerry, the hosts of Bat Books for Beginners, are honest about how well I'm serving the citizens of Gotham. Sometimes too honest, I'll have to talk to them about that. If you wake up one morning and think you might be Batman and have just lost your memories, go over to the BatmanUniverse.net or iTunes and check out Bat Books for Beginners. Now, if I could just figure out who this old man cleaning the Batcave is, that would be great. I asked my friend Scott Snyder and he didn't know. Don't be a supervillain. Visit the BatmanUniverse.net and listen to Bat Books for Beginners, also on iTunes. You'll be glad you did. Bat Books for Beginners is part of the BatmanUniverse.net Bat family of podcasts. Don't listen to Bat Books for Beginners when operating heavy machinery or juggling. If you listen to Bat Books for Beginners for more than four hours, call your doctor. Bat Books for Beginners is part of a balanced diet. The Aqueduct, written by Mark Schultz, illustrated by Steve Stiles. Mustafa Cairo stands atop a hill, gazing down upon the almost-finished new portion of the aqueduct for the city and the sea. Seventy-five years ago, his grandfather began the construction of the older aqueduct, and thirty-five years ago, his father completed it. And the governing council came to him months ago to engineer and build the new rerouting needed to join the old construction. But Mustafa's mind is not at ease. While he has been tasked with completing the construction of the above-ground system, Former leader of the Moles, Wilhelmina Scharnhorst, who is now the city's water commissioner, is in charge of completing the underground system. Before the final connection that would seal the system, Mustafa sent three men into the pipes. That was three hours ago, and they haven't returned. Mustafa chooses three other men to join him in a search party. Making their way down the steep pipes, Mustafa realizes they are going much deeper than he was led to believe. He is even more surprised when the pipe joins a huge underground chamber, and then he is shocked to find the dead bodies of the three men he sent underground earlier. 
As he looks around, Mustafa realizes the chamber is designed to be used as a reservoir, and he sees huge gates that could be used as locks. He realizes that Scharnhorst and her moles plan to hold the city's water hostage. Gunshots ring out in the darkness. One of his men is killed and another is injured. Mustafa and the remaining men race back through the pipes and into the sunlight, where he later receives a written note from Scharnhorst telling him to meet her at the aqueduct at midnight. That night, Mustafa meets Scharnhorst under a full moon. She tells him how she has been able to use the goods from the vaults to build influence in the city, rising to the position of water commissioner. But much change is needed in the city, she says. The governing council is weak and unwilling to take the steps needed to take command of nature and the city's destiny. The council is preparing to vote on a replacement following the death of Governor Gorgostomos, and she plans to use the reservoir to control the water supply and force the council to appoint her as the new replacement governor. Mustafa has skills that she can use, and she tells him that, as an engineer, he can rise to glory in the new city. Mustafa looks her in the eye and pledges his allegiance. He will complete the connection of the aqueduct, giving her control of the water supply. Returning to the construction site, Mustafa meets with his most trusted men. He then sends a message to Jack Tenrick, telling him that he's decided to run for governor and needs his support. Standing back on the hill overlooking the city, Mustafa watches as the night sky erupts in bright light as the aqueduct explodes. This is such a great story. I love the way Mustafa gets a chance to shine in the lead role. We learn that his father and grandfather were also engineers, and we see examples of his concern for his men. He takes his life in his hands, meeting Scharnhorst at night at the aqueduct, even though he is sure that she has snipers watching him. But he is able to play the part and get the information he needs while escaping with his life. And knowing how proud he is of his work, you can imagine how painful it is for him to destroy the aqueduct, but he knows it must be done to protect the city. Steve Stiles' art is great as always, and I especially like the use of shadows since so much of the story takes place inside the pipes or at night at the aqueduct. The image of Mustafa and the search party entering the pipe with the bright sunlight behind them is a favorite, as well as the scenes of Mustafa and Scharnhorst at the aqueduct at night with the full moon overhead and the city in the background. And I really love the bookend images with Mustafa standing above the aqueduct in bright sunlight at the beginning of the story and then standing in the same position as the aqueduct explodes in the night sky in the last image. Very symbolic. First appearance of Superman in 1938. Batman in 1939. Rock and roll born with Elvis' first album in 1956. The modern sitcom created in 1944. The point being that pop culture in all its forms was born during the 20th century. I'm Scott Weatherly. And please come and join me on 20th Century Geek, a journey through the common and not so common elements of pop and geek culture. Every week I alternate between a blog and a podcast as I look at something different, using roundtable discussions, interviews, reviews and some general rambling. Find us on iTunes and Stitcher or visit our website 20thCenturyGeek.com 20th Century Geek, the blog and podcast that meets your history and geeky needs. Let's review who's who and what's what in Xenozoic Tales. 
This is the 26th century, long after a series of geological cataclysms. What is known as the city in the sea in these stories is the island of Manhattan that is now partially submerged in the ocean. The city of Wasoon is what we know as Washington, D.C. Jack Tenrick is an old blood mechanic, one of the few people who have learned how to repair the many machines left over from the distant past. He is also a bit of a shaman. While he can be gruff at times, he is more respected by residents than the governors who run the city. Hannah Dundee is a scientist and ambassador from Wasoon who has come to the City in the Sea in the hopes of building cooperation between the two cities. Kurgo is a longtime and trusted friend of Jack's who works at his garage. Mustafa Cairo is an engineer and one of Jack's best friends. His services are obviously needed everywhere, as we've seen him fixing machinery at distant mines as well as in the city. Wilhelmina Scharnhorst is the leader of the moles a group of people who prefer to live and work underground where they search the ancient ruins under the city in the sea. She despises the old blood mechanics, and she and Jack have little respect for each other. The governing council rules the city in the sea and consists of several members, including Governors Nock and Dahlgren. Some members respect Jack, while other members resent that he is more popular with the people than they are. Next up is listener feedback, when we share the emails and messages we've received since last time. Thanks to everyone for the comments. Your support and encouragement is great, and we appreciate everyone who took time to get in touch to share your thoughts. First, we want to mention that Scott Weatherly invited us to be guests on his 20th Century Geek podcast, where we had the chance to talk even more about Xenozoic Tales with another fan. It was really fun, and we sincerely thank Scott for the invitation and the great conversation about the comics, the games, the animated series, and the new book. The episode will be out in May. In fact, it might be out the very same weekend as this episode. We'll be sure to share it on social media, and we hope you enjoy it. And now, on to your feedback. Chris of Bat Books for Beginners wrote in about Episode 9, saying, Your story recaps really create some visuals in my mind. Excellent podcast. Thank you, Chris. Paige Groh commented on the oversized Xenozoic Tales Artist Edition, saying, Mark is already one of my all-time favorite artists, and this large format package makes me appreciate him even more. We agree, Paige. Rob Pickering let us know that he picked up issue number three for only 75 cents at the book rack a few weeks ago. He said, I almost thought I'd died and gone to nerd heaven. You might have, Rob, because that was a real deal. Arlo's dad shared a great question through Twitter, asking, did the dinosaurs ever ask what the cars ran on? Because that would have been awkward. That made us laugh, and maybe that was the real reason Jack was being hunted by the cutter in this issue. Scott Weatherly of the 20th Century Geek blog and podcast asked on Twitter, After the success of Fury Road and Jurassic World, why do we not yet have a Cadillacs and Dinosaurs movie? It has everything. He went on to ask who should be cast in a movie, and we shared that question with all of you and got lots of terrific responses. So, here are your Xenozoic Tales movie Dreamcast suggestions. Since it was his idea, we'll start with Scott, who chose Tom Hardy for Mad Max and Inception as Jack Tenrick, and Jennifer Conley of The Rocketeer and the Hulk as Hannah Dundee. Fellow podcaster Eric Mannix from Out of the Fridge and the family-friendly Pages for All Ages sent in the same two choices of Tom Hardy and Jennifer Conley. So, we have some early consensus. Will it last? Longtime supporter Vic Sage of The Retroist chose George Clooney as Jack and the lovely Agent Carter, Haley Atwell, as Hannah. Brian Mulvey suggested Olympic champion and Flash Gordon star Buster Crabb as Jack, Rachel Weiss as Hannah, and football star and Golden Globe winning actor Woody Strode as Mustafa Cairo. 
John Baker gave this some serious consideration and sent in a full lineup. BAFTA and Golden Globe winning Emily Blunt as Hannah, Captain Kirk Chris Pine as Jack, Almost Human star Michael Ely as Mustafa Cairo, Val Kilmer as Hammer Terhune, Helena Bonham Carter, who is great in everything, as Wilhelmina Scharnhorst, and Andy Serkis as Hobbes. We love Andy Serkis as Gollum in Lord of the Rings and as Caesar in Planet of the Apes, and he actually gets to play a human in King Kong. Longtime Mark Schultz fan Danny Newman of the Super Newmans wrote, It is so difficult to find the perfect fit for Jack and Hannah. But here's what I'm thinking. Madman John Hamm as Jack, the versatile Anne Hathaway as Hannah, 007's Felix Leiter Jeffrey Wright as Mustafa Cairo, wrestling star and actor John Cena as Hammer Terhune, and Kathy Bates as Wilhelmina Scharnhorst. Great choices. Jeffrey Willis of the blogs Hollow World and Wave Your Geek Flag went above and beyond with his response, creating a terrific post called Cast a Xenozoic Tales Movie, they said. Jeffrey chose Haley Atwell as Hannah and Richard Armitage as Jack. On his blog, Jeffrey took multiple images of Hannah and Jack from the comics and found corresponding images of Haley Atwell and Richard Armitage to illustrate his choices. It's a wonderful post, and everyone should check it out. We'll have the link in our show notes. Sam Cook responded on Jeffrey's blog, saying, Jack is easy. There are so many tall, scraggly actors who could fill that role. Alexander Skarsgård of True Blood and The Legend of Tarzan is a great actor, tall and totally looks like he could be a grease monkey and explorer. Ethan Peck has the looks of his grandfather Gregory Peck, who could also have played Jack in the 1950s. Hannah is a bit tougher. Emily Blunt comes to mind. She can do haughty as well as tough. Ashley Green from the Twilight movies has a Taekwondo background and can do the physical stuff, but I think my favorite is Alicia Vikander. She has a dancer's grace and physicality and was outstanding in Ex Machina. Very thoughtful, Sam. And longtime Mark Schultz fan, Scott Connor, asked whether or not he could choose performers who were still alive or not. Once we confirmed that past or present selections were fine, he sent in his list saying, The obvious answers are T-Rex, Brontosaurus, Stegosaurus, and Dimetrodon. And, of course, Pterodactyl, which he spelled as two words, Terry and Dactyl. Great response, Scott. You really made us laugh. So what are our choices? Well, Hannah Dundee was easier for me. I immediately thought of both Jennifer Conley as well as Haley Atwell and was very pleased to see that both of them had multiple votes from others. I was really struggling with Jack, but two suggestions came in that I just loved. One was Richard Armitage, who was the best thing about the recent BBC Robin Hood TV series, and he was outstanding as Thorne Oakenshield in The Hobbit films. And the other was Alexander Skarsgård, who was great in True Blood and outstanding as Tarzan. Once I had those in mind, it was difficult to choose, but Jeffrey's images in his blog post tipped the scale, so I'm going with Richard Armitage and Haley Atwell. Very nice choices. Both are terrific. For me, because of Mark Schultz's amazing black-and-white art, and because we had the chance to talk with him last year about our shared love of black-and-white films, I thought first of the golden age of film noir. So for Jack and Hannah... I immediately thought of the amazing duo of Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall as Jack and Hannah. The two are great together in so many films, and I could easily imagine them handling the different nuances of those characters and their relationship. Then I thought of Ingrid Bergman as Governor Dahlgren. She has that sense of authority and also the ability to be calculating and deceptive that is needed in the role. For Mustafa Cairo, I chose Sidney Poitier because he is amazing in everything and he has this quiet yet powerful presence that I think would fit the character well. And for Kurgo, I chose Richard Farnsworth 
an amazing character actor who played gruff yet lovable older men so well throughout a long career, and he later got a chance to shine in larger roles in Misery and Anne of Green Gables. I really like those choices, and I think I can imagine all of them in those roles. And I just want to mention that coincidentally, I saw a tweet by Quantum Paleo promoting an older post on Tor.com titled, Xenozoic Tales is the epic dinosaur movie we need. The post was written by Brian Switek, the author of a book called My Beloved Brontosaurus, where he explores recent discoveries in paleontology. It is a fun article, and we'll include a link in the show notes. We want to give a big thank you to everyone who submitted their Dreamcast ideas. They were all terrific, and I would love to see a film featuring any of them. But now it's time for a drawing to give away prizes for the entries. We have two copies of the art book, Mark Schultz Various Drawings, Volume 5. It's a 48-page softcover book featuring a variety of drawings. And it's extra exciting because both copies are signed by Mark Schultz. So, all of the names we just read go into a hat, and it's time to choose two winners. Okay, I'm going to pick one out. And I see our first winner is Scott Weatherly. Well, that's appropriate since this was all his idea, but I wonder how he conveniently arranged to win from all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. All right, time for the last one. Our second winner, Jeffrey Willis. Wow. A big congratulations to both Scott and Jeffrey. We'll be in touch with you to get your mailing addresses... Thank you again to everyone who submitted a Dreamcast list. We hope everyone had fun, and we'll be sure to have another contest sometime in the future. Next, we want to extend our thanks to everyone who supported the show on social media since last episode. These are people who commented or shared posts from us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook, and we sincerely appreciate all the support. Before we start, let me say if we miss a name, just let us know and we'll correct it next time. And please forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just write to let us know and we'll be sure to correct that next episode. The 20th Century Geek Podcast with Scott Weatherly, Andrea Achille, Ange of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary, Antonio Scapini, Ashford of the Ride On Network featuring Feathers and Foes and Straight Out of Gallifrey, BC Fan 101, Billy Hogan of the Superman Fan Podcast, Brian Mulvey, Chris Carnes of Bat Books for Beginners, Chris Mounts, Chris Sasaki, Christopher Mills of the Atomic Pulp Blog and writer for Perils on Planet X, Gravedigger, and Femme Noir, Clinton Robison of the Coffee and Comics Blog and Podcast, Comics in the Golden Age with Chris and Mike, Cullen Stapleton from the Worst Comics Podcast Ever, Daniel Barrios, DC in the 80s, Doug Zawija of the Doom Patrol Blog, My Greatest Adventure 80, and writer for Comicosity. Dr. G, Man of Dirtology of the Pulp to Pixel Podcast, Dread, Ed and Terry Moore of Till Productions, Eddie Hurtado, Eric Herringall, creator of the comic Kong Crew, Eric Mannix of Out of the Fridge and Pages for All Ages, Gene Hendricks of the Hammer Strikes and the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, Jerry Green of Bat Books for Beginners, Giovanni Luizzi, Green Lantern HG, Jay Merman, Jeff Darwin, Jeff Messer of the Geek Brain Podcast, Jeffrey Willis of the Hollow World blog and Waved Your Geek Flag. Joe Crawford of the blog for the Non-Discerning Reader. John Baker. John Pepper. Justice's First Dawn with Mike Peacock. Karen Williams of Between the Pages. Keith G. Baker. Kyle Benning of King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. Larry Looper Jr., a.k.a. Vic Sage and writer for The Retroist. Laurel Phillips, a.k.a. Mountain Flower. 
Long Box Crusade with Pat and Jared, Mark Adams of Mark's Mess Podcast, Mark Sweeney from the I'm the Gun Blog and Podcast, Matthew Ward, Midwest Society of Geeks and Nerds, Nancy Najidli, Nerd News, Nicholas Prom of Comic Reflections, Paige Grow, Paul Hicks of the Waiting for Doom Podcast, Randy Andrews of Soundtrack Alley, Ricardo Saw, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ryan Daly of the Power of Fishnets and Midnight the Podcasting Hour, Scott Connor, Scott Morris, Silver and Gold Podcast with Jay and Roy, Tony Greenall, Two True Freaks Podcast Network, and Wendy Friedman of the Podcast Double Page Spread. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. You can contact us directly at xenozoicxenophiles at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram under the name Xenozoic Xenophiles. And you can always visit xenozoicxenophiles.com for links to all of our social media pages. You can listen to the show through iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and you can find the show at podbean.com. You can also find the show on YouTube as part of the Rad Adventures Podcast Network. That's R-A-D, Rad which is short for Ruth and Darren. On the Rad Adventures YouTube channel, you will find all of the episodes for all of our podcasts, including Xenozoic Xenophiles, as well as Trekker Talk about 23rd Century Bounty Hunter Mercy St. Clair by Ron Randall, and Warlord Worlds about the comic creations of Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Every review helps the podcast be more likely to show up in search results. And on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos. Thanks for listening, and we hope you will come back next time for another new episode of Xenozoic Xenophiles. Xenozoic Xenophiles is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. For more information, please visit comicspodcasts.com. We are not affiliated with Mark Schultz or the various companies that have published the series. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album, Movie Tunes, Background Music, Songs and Loops, Volume 2. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. <laughs> <laughs>